Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chad. Thank you, Sister Amy. Didn't you like that song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us? Is that ever more true? God's wonderful love, His unlimited, unconditional, divine, agape love. What love it is that God has for you and me. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is evidence of that very love. And, and uh, we just praise the Lord for that. And Pastor Chad has alluded to in our responsive reading, uh, our scripture text is taken this morning out of the Gospel of Mark in chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And I'll just ask you to open your Bibles back there, or you can open up your worship guide. It's printed right there uh, also for you too. But just going back that first Easter Sunday morning, of course, Jesus was crucified on Good Friday. His body laid in the borrowed tomb. And there in that uh, hewn, stone-hewn tomb, his precious body, uh, marred and mangled as it was by the torture that he endured, and lifeless as it was for those three days, uh, we see the miracle of his resurrection captured for us by Mark in his rendition of his gospel in chapter 16, verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So that's why we Baptists just wait till the sun comes up and then we do our service. We let everybody else watch the sun come up. And I'm just kidding. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Which is a reasonable question as you see in the next verse. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. And they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. For they trembled and were amazed. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And rightfully so. You know, the the secular materialistic world in which we live uh, has its own way of conveniently converting Easter to its own benefit. In the retail area, industry, we know that Easter is an economic boost. It's a time to have special sales and to generate sales and to have all kinds of shopping advertisements to entice people to come to the stores because it's Easter sales and all kinds of things are set up. Of course, most of the Easter decorations have been up since Christmas and all the Easter candy and everything like that. But then for others, it's a holiday. It's a holiday from work. It's a holiday from school. It's a time to take off and, and to enjoy. For some, they squeeze in a mini vacation. For some, it's a time to do some extra yard work. Or maybe take off to the beach, do a cookout, you know, things like that. So it's amazing how even our secular world has its own slant on Easter. And some communities even just use it as an opportunity to have some type of a secular spring celebration. But the idea is they find some way to celebrate. 
Whereas none of these are bad in and of themselves. The fact is, you and I know that they are a far cry from what Easter really is to you and me as believers in Jesus Christ. You see, for the, for the church, for the body of Christ, the significance of Easter is deeply grounded in the factual, scriptural, historical events surrounding the bodily resurrection of the Son of God, our Savior, from the tomb three days after his body was laid in that tomb, lifeless, subsequent to a terrible Roman crucifixion. And this event, by far, is the most significant event in all of human history. All of history hinges on what took place in that garden cemetery that the tomb of Jesus 2,000 years ago. We celebrate the fact that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the precious Lamb of God, after laying there in that tomb, lifeless, He came forth fully alive in the power and the glory of God. The significance of His resurrection was the fact that He came into this world as the Lamb of God to lay down His life as a propitiation for your sins and my sins And by him coming out of the tomb that day, that Easter Sunday morning, it was evidence that the price that he had paid on the the cross was absolutely sufficient for the redemption of our sins. Now, granted, false religions have their way of paying homage and reverence to their so-called false prophets and false teachers as they gather around uh, tombs where the bodily remains of their religious leaders are enshrined. But you see, Christians don't gather around a grave. They don't gather around a tomb that holds the remains of a body. We celebrate the fact that somewhere outside of the city walls of Jerusalem, there is a tomb that is empty. And has been empty for 2,000 years plus. That for just three days held the precious body of our Lord and Savior. He is not only removed from that tomb. He is resurrected. He is fully alive and has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And because of that we celebrate. Now I realize some unbelieving skeptics may even contend that okay I'll give you. If he was raised 2,000 years ago, that's 2,000 years ago. So what? What difference does that make today? What difference does it make in our lives today? And that's what I stand here before you this morning to remind you and me that, praise God, his resurrection from the grave 2,000 years ago indeed has a, a powerful and lasting impact upon our lives every single day. That's why we gather not just on this Lord's Day. That's why we gather every Lord's Day to celebrate that we have a Savior who is resurrected and who lives. And because He lives, we live. And so I want to just share with you some of the, the observations of, of the impact of the resurrection Upon our lives as Christians. And just refresh your memory of what does the resurrection mean to those of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ. First I submit to you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ sets the stage for our own resurrection from the dead. 
And I want to show you that in the scriptures this morning. Suffice to say that had Jesus not risen from the tomb, from the grave that Easter Sunday morning, if he had not been resurrected, if he had not risen from the dead, brothers and sisters, there would be no hope for you and me, or for anyone for that matter. Because he's risen, we know that we shall live also. Jesus told Martha there in John's Gospel, chapter 11, when he went to to comfort her at the death of her brother and Jesus' dear friend Lazarus, you may recall where Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he shall die, should die, he shall live. And I'm sure that, that Martha couldn't wrap her mind around all that he was saying at that point. But the fact is, Jesus was giving her the very message of Resurrection Sunday right there. If you have your Bibles handy and want to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul sheds light on this in chapter 15 of the significance of the resurrection to you and me. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, if you'll look with me there, in verse 13, Paul poses an interesting scenario. In verse 13, he says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is, is vain, and your faith is also vain. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, which is contrast to what he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, when he gives comfort to those early believers that, they, that the loved ones who've died ha, have not perished, but are actually alive in Christ. And then in verse 19, he goes on to say, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If indeed Christ was not risen from the grave, if he was not resurrected, then Paul says everything we believe in is futile, it's vain. Of all the people in the world, we are the ones to be the most pitied. If, if indeed Christ was not risen, then we are, we're, we're false witnesses. We have no hope. But of course we know the antithesis of that is the fact that Jesus Christ was indeed risen. And because of that, we have the hope of life after death. And we know that He is alive and that the hope of heaven exists. And our loved ones who've gone on ahead of us, who were also believers in Jesus Christ, are fully alive. And they are in heaven in the presence of the Lord. And they're waiting on us one day when we join them. Oh, it makes all the difference in the world. As I move forward, I also want to submit for your consideration this morning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ secures our salvation. It's important for us to know that we're saved. It's important for for us to know that our salvation is secure in Christ. Turning your Bibles back to the Gospel of John, I just want you to see a few passages there that should shore that up for you and me. I, I, I think it's truly regrettable that there are some Christians who walk around in this world today living in a perpetual state of insecurity. Because you see, they have been taught, unfortunately and, 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 and unbiblically, 
that if, when they sin, they lose their salvation. And, and so thus they got to start all over again. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine living with that kind of insecurity hanging over your head. And that's not what the Bible teaches and it's not the way that Christ intended for His people, His followers to live. We, we are to live with a, a glorious, constant assurance that we are saved. And, and so look in John's Gospel, in chapter 6, there's Jesus is speaking in verse 38, John six thirty-eight, he's saying to his disciples, For I have come down from heaven not to do my, will, my, my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at that last day. As you turn from there to John chapter 10, might I submit for you to encourage you and to reinforce your faith this morning that just what Jesus says there, you know and I know that no one comes to Christ except God draw them. Every person who is born again, who is saved, is given to the Son by the Father. But the important thing for you and I to hear what Jesus said there, He says, everyone that the Father gives to me, not one is lost. And once you're placed in the hands of the Lord, your salvation is absolutely, eternally secure. As you go over to chapter 10 in John's Gospel, some of the most beautiful words that Jesus gives to us as He describes Himself as the Good Shepherd. And he he is indeed that good shepherd. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and and the Father am one. Can you just picture that? When you prayed after the Spirit of God had convicted you of your sins, and you realized that you were a sinner, and you asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, and to come into your life, and you committed to follow Him in obedience, and to make Him the Lord and Master of your life, Listen, there was a powerful divine action that transaction that took place. The Father placed you into the hand of His loving Son. God the Father and God the Son are one. And when He places you into the hands of His Son, listen, there's the Father's hand on top of the Son's hand and Jesus saying, I, I dare say glaringly, looking into the pits of hell, is to say, listen, when the Father puts you in My hand, no one, no way, no how will ever take you out. You are secure in your salvation in me. Once saved, always saved. And how do we know that? Because Jesus said it. And once He had said it, He went to the cross and paid the price, shed His blood, fulfilled every obligation to satisfy the wrath and justice, just wrath of God, and the resurrection sealed the deal. 
And you are safe and secure in your salvation once you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Listen, no one can snatch you out of the hands of God and the Son and not even you. You can't unsave yourself. I hear some people say, well, isn't suicide the unpardonable sin? I mean, for a believer, for whatever reason, to take their own life, wouldn't that surely cause them their salvation? No. Otherwise, Jesus has got to go back and and undo just what He said there. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said in Romans 8, 38, I say praise the Lord. But it all hinged on Jesus coming out of the grave 2,000 years ago on that first Easter Sunday morning. Listen, when he stepped forward on that first Easter Sunday morning, when he stepped forward from that grave, let me tell you something. Under his own power, leaving his grave clothes folded neatly behind him, he stepped right out of that tomb, right onto the head of Satan. I love thinking back when Jesus, when God was given the curse for sin in the, in the garden. You remember when he told, when he was looking at the serpent, he had already pronounced the curse upon man and upon woman. And, 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 he, and he looks at the serpent and he says, you will, you will bruise his heel, talking about Christ. But he says, but he will crush your head. And I believe that on that Easter Sunday morning when Jesus Christ in the power and the glory of God rose from the dead and he laid aside his grave clothes and stepped out of that tomb, he stepped right onto the head of old Satan and crushed him because he was saying once and for all, it's done. It's done. It's finished. He slung death over his shoulders. He took the keys of of hell right out of the hands of sin and flung the gates of Hades wide open once and for all because once we're saved, we're always saved. It's a done deal. Praise the Lord. And that's what we celebrate. We celebrate that not just on Easter, but certainly on Easter morning. As Sister Jeanette and I were talking, the message of Easter uh, is applicable to every day of our lives. Every day when the, when the enemy is barraging us with temptation, when the world is coming against us in, in, in all kinds of fiery trials and hardships, when it seems the circumstances of making life almost unbearable, listen, the message of Easter says we belong to Christ. We have hope. We have assurance. There is life even after death. He is with us and he gives us the ability by faith to live a victorious life. The resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ also serves as a model for our future bodies. You know, I like to speculate about what it'll be like in heaven. And and, and to have a glorified body. To have glorified vocal cords and to be able to sing like some of you that can sing like a bird and all of that. Um, Of course, Brother Charlie, you always sing like a bird, don't you? So anyway, uh, I, you know, to, 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 to be perfect. To have that body that that no longer is subject to disease and disability and pain and suffering in our new bodies. Look at Philippians in chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, as he's he's sharing there in verse 20. Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that 
it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Paul is saying in essence that when we leave this world and we lay aside these tabernacles, these physical tents tainted with disease and and, and disabilities and, and limitations, and when we take on that new body in the presence of the Lord, we have a new body that is very much like his, that is conformed to the resurrected body of our Savior. And in 1 Corinthians in 15, chapter 15, you know, Paul talks about this wonderful transformation that takes place as a result of the wonderful resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 and verse 42. If you would like to uh, take a look there or you can listen. Listen to this miraculous, miraculous transformation that takes place when a person leaves this world and goes into the presence of the Lord. He says in verse 42 of chapter 15, of 1 Corinthians, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a living spirit. Speaking of Christ, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are also are those who are made of dust. That's our physical bodies. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. That'll be us. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Paul is saying we shall trade these physical, sin-tainted, limited bodies for glorious and wonderful new body that God has in store for us in heaven. In 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, he gives us this glorious message of hope, talking about when Christ comes again. In 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, But I do not want you... uh, I do not, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. I'll just pause for a minute and just ask you to reflect. We all have loved ones that have gone ahead of us. I think about them on, on a regular basis, precious relatives, dear friends, Church members that have gone on to be with the Lord. And I think about them. Just what Paul is saying. When Christ comes in in that glorious event we call the rapture. They will come with him in the clouds. They will be with him. They are fully alive. They are there in the presence of the Lord. Paul says in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of an archangel. And with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain. Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Thus Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And our glorified bodies will enable us 
to exist in that beautiful and glorious eternal place that we call heaven that will be home for us one day. We will be able to live in the very presence of God. No more pain. No more suffering. And as the scripture says, we will look and we will see our Lord and Savior. We will look at Him. We'll look at ourselves. We'll look at Him and we'll look at ourselves because we will be like Him. The qualities and the attributes of Jesus' resurrected body, we will share in, because of the resurrection. We will share those, those qualities where your body is not limited to space, not limited to time any longer. It possesses the powers that God is, uh, uh, will give us to be able to perform the service to Him for eternity. We will be recognized by our loved ones. We will recognize our loved ones because we know in the Gospel account when Jesus took James and Peter and John upon the Mount of Transfiguration, we're told that they saw Elijah. And Moses, and they recognized them. They've been dead for hundreds of years. We know that Jesus' own disciples, after Jesus was resurrected from the grave and they saw him, they recognized him. So it's not like we're in some, some disembodied spirit up there floating around and nobody knows who you are. We will see one another. We will recognize our loved ones. We will be recognized. That's one of the qualities of our resurrected body in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And finally, I want to share with you the resurrection of Jesus Christ supplies us with the power to live victoriously the Christian life. Because He lives, we have the assurance, we have the confidence of knowing that this life here on this earth with all the pain and suffering and, and, and immorality and the wars and all of that, listen, we know that this is not where it is, is, it's all at. It's more to life than what we are experiencing here on this earth. When you hold our life, lifetime, I don't care if you live to be a hundred years old, when you hold that up against the backdrop of eternity, dear friends, it's like one person said, it's like taking a grain of sand out of the Sahara Desert and dropping it down on those sand dunes. That's how vast eternity is. And so in the injustice and the pain and the crime and the hurts and the disease and the disabilities and all in this life. Listen, this is not life. Real life awaits us when we leave this world and we step into glory and we're given that wonderful assurance because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You turn in your Bibles of Philippians in chapter 3 as we go back there to take a look at what Paul says. <clears throat> In chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having, any, uh, uh, not, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, oh, listen, 
Anything that I suffer on this side of eternity, whatever I lose, he says, that is insignificant. That is just immaterial. He says, the thing that is important to me is to gain Christ, to have Christ, to share in the power power of the knowledge of the resurrection. Because he lives, Paul says, I know I live, and knowing that I will live and live in eternity in heaven enables us to live with authority and to live with confidence and to live in the righteousness of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, And he is who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and think. Unto him, according to the power that he gives us, he says, Unto him be glory in the church through Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Christ is able to do all things and we are able to do all things in Christ we live with this power we live with the confidence that we can live the Christian life victoriously because Jesus Christ is alive he is risen he is alive and because of that we can live our lives victoriously with confidence knowing that we will see him again one day